This is Welcome Home Radio from the Fresno Association of Realtors on 940 KYNO. Well, good morning and welcome to Welcome Home Radio. This is Don Scordino, your host on our Valley's most informative real estate talk show. This hour is being presented by the Fresno Association of Realtors, and our goal is to provide our listeners some real facts and real stats about our local market. Key word there is local market. So what's happening here in our Central Valley may be different than what's happening back east or in Minnesota or wherever. So you're going to learn today, we're going to talk a lot about what happened in 2021, and we are... um, some of the statistics and such and hopefully that information gives you the information you need to make your home ownership decisions whether you want to buy whether you want to sell whether you want to keep or maybe even refinance um, we're going to give you that information and we have a really I get starting January 1st I can now say this guy is a special guest because starting January 1st he became the new president of the Fresno Association of Realtors, Steve Flash, good friend of mine. How are you, Steve? Don, I'm doing very well, thanks. I'm happy to be with you again here on uh, Welcome Home Radio. Well, thank you. Um, I prefaced it with good friend of mine so that you'll be a little kinder to me than you were, let's say, a week ago at your installation dinner. Do you want to fess up to everybody what you did? (laughs) <laughs> well, since you put me on the spot, Don, I will. Um, I, I merely made a comment in front of a, a room of about 300 plus people um, that they should go ahead and give you a text message and uh, imply that I was saying horrible things about you. So I think you got about 50 some odd text messages from people that were letting you know that I was talking trash. And um, yeah, so uh, let me ask you, Don, what was going through your mind when, the, when your phone started blowing up with those texts? Well, I finally took a little vacation. I was in, we were in San Diego in, in a restaurant called Nona's in Little Italy. And we're, we're at an outdoor table, and all of a sudden, my phone starts going, and just blowing up. And I, I, my first thought is something went wrong with my phone because it was every second it was going off. And I started looking at that, and I my thought was, ah, oh, Steve, come on. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope I didn't uh, uh, ruin the evening for Dee. She's a, she's a great woman, and I would uh, hate to have it had a negative impact on her. But, uh, yeah, I, th- I thought it was a fun way to uh, have a little fun with you. You made her smile. But I want <laughs> you to know I didn't go down easy. I came up fighting. My comment to you, I texted you right away while you were on the podium saying only 53 text messages you see steve i didn't think you could draw much of a crowd to your installation dinner (laughs) yeah yeah that was uh i i thought from the the other side of it though don maybe there were only 50 people in the room that actually had your number the rest of the people would have jumped on it if they had it Ah. i should have announced it from the podium in order to get everybody involved there you go hey anyway uh all teasing aside, let's get to some serious stuff. What What are your goals as the 2022 president of the association? Well, you know, um, 
I think that our association is is phenomenal. We've got a lot of strength. We've got a um, history of leadership within our association, and that is uh, both from, at the volunteer level. You know, people like you and others that have come before me that have served as president of the association. Um, and then from the staff perspective, we have an incredible, incredible staff that, that supports us. So um, my goal is, is really to, to, to keep the ship going forward. I think the direction that we're moving forward or that we're moving in is great. Um, we've become more involved um, with the community. We've tried to have a louder voice in the community. Uh, we have also um, tried to become a little bit more involved with advocacy here at the local level. Um, you know, at the state level and the national level, that's one. Of okay, we have a little technical difficulty there, um, but let's keep going. I think Steve, what Steve was saying in his, uh, I believe his microphone is off right now. Okay. We do have a great staff. The Fresno Association of Realtors has been around for over 100 years. Actually, I believe it's even a hundred and. Uh, I'm going to guess 115 years old by now and got quite a history, a lot of stability there. He, he talked about the staff being incredible. Um, well, uh, our, our association executive has been there over 30 years. Um, anyway, the, many of the staff have been there for more than a decade our association executive for more than three decades. So there is some stability there and um, past leadership has been great. And I'm looking forward to the new leadership under Steve. Yeah, we have the, the 2022 leadership team is, is really impressive. Um, you know, I can't say that I've handpicked it because there's people that have been involved here uh, longer than I have. But if I had the ability to go through and and handpick some leaders within um, our association. I, I don't know that it would be much different than the group that we've got assembled right now. It is really a phenomenal group of leaders. All right. So you mentioned that uh, one of the goals is advocacy. W what are you hoping to do there? Well, we uh, fight for um, not only like the, the rights of our members uh, who are predominantly independent contractors, um, but we do have a, a, an employee model as well, a W-2 based model. But we, we fight for uh, the rights for our members. And then we also um, advocate for homeowner rights and property rights. And that's one of the big things that, that our association does. Um, we've been involved. There's been some um, some moves uh, here locally that have uh, – either uh, vacant commercial building um, things that the, the city has looked at in which they were looking at putting in some pretty onerous restrictions on the um, uh, building owners. Um, there's some things going on with the city right now that we're looking at landlord tenant issues. And the, that's something that we want to weigh in on. And we, we always uh, want to make sure that our voice is heard. You know, we, I think we as realtors have a unique perspective as to what's going on within housing and um, specifically on the landlord tenant side of things. And, uh, you know, we, we should have a voice at the table. And, and then we do, again, advocate for those property rights and those homeownership rights. Mm -hmm. And here's a good example of how the realtors can help with that. And I'm going to take this to the federal level and back in, I believe it was 2011 when uh, HAFA came out, the Home Affordable um, Foreclosure Act, where they were trying to do things to stop the, 
the increase in foreclosures. So they said, well, here, you can modify your loan up to 105% of um, the value uh, because at that point, a lot of homes were underwater. Any realtor could have said 105 isn't going to do it. It's you're going to need to go to at least 125%, maybe even more, if you want that program to be effective. And uh, true as true as it could be, it, the program flopped and helped very, very few people because they didn't get the realtor input. Um, yeah, the the depreciation that we saw was much greater than 5% um, here locally. You know, our, our local market benefited quite a bit from that. Um, well, let me rephrase. The median sales price and sales prices um, increased quite a bit during that boom. But when the bottom dropped out of the market, the, the hits that we took here locally were much greater than 5%. So being able to, to modify a, a loan to 105% of the value is just it, it, a drop in the bucket versus what people actually really needed. Yeah. And to go backwards a little bit uh, on statistics, in 2007, the median price in Fresno and Clovis was 277000 uh, Within five years, that dropped to 155000 So you can see that was far more than, than uh, 5%. Um, Steve, I've yeah. got another question for you. What did we learn from 2021? You know, um, the, the thing that stood out to me is, is change is inevitable. Um, we, we came into 2021 um, with, you know, the COVID being a, a significant issue. It seems to be seasonal. So, you know, the winter, it, it's worse. And then as we get into the spring, it seems to uh, relax a little bit. So, Mid 2021, I think we everybody was feeling, hey, we're we're pretty good good coming out of this whole uh, coronavirus thing. So I think everybody was pretty excited about it. Well, and then obviously Omicron came in, and we're we're back under mask mandates and and things to that effect. So um, everything changes, and uh, the the pandemic I think really accelerated the the rate of change. We had, um, whether it's technology or in this case, you know, we talk about prices and values, uh, market conditions, everything changes at a rapid, rapid rate, specifically when you're in a time of uh, a pandemic or any sort of crisis like that. What, what should we look forward to in 2022? More change? <laughs> yes. I mean, I think that's the change is the only constant. Um, so I think we're still going to see some changes in the market. Um, obviously, we're seeing, you know, right now we're seeing changes with um, inflation and interest rates. Uh, interest rates have, you know, over the past couple of years have been at historically low levels, below 3% for a large part of, uh, you know, the end of 2020 and then the beginning of 2021. And then we saw inflation start to kick in. You know, if you go back about two months, uh, the Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac were anticipating that interest rates were going to be 3.7 or 3.8 percent by the end of this year. And if you look around, we're already at 3.6, 3.7 percent with a lot of our lenders here. So in a very, very short time, we've, we've already hit that benchmark. So as inflation continues, I anticipate uh, interest rates climbing a bit. And that's going to have an impact on uh, somebody's buying power and uh you know the amount of home that they can purchase yeah so it's important to update your pre-approval letter periodically what would you say 30 days 60 days 
You know, and and even more so than that, I was talking with a, a loan officer two weeks ago, and he was talking about, you know, he was quoting rates at, at 3.625. And then when we were talking yesterday, he was quoting rates about 3.875. So he saw about a quarter of a point jump in a matter of two weeks. So if you are um, looking at buying a home and your approval letter is more than a week or two old, if you're getting ready to write an offer, I would reach out to my loan officer and I'd want to make sure that the that those rates and that those terms are still available. If not, it's going to have an impact on, on your purchasing power. Or here's another thing you can do. So many people go in to get pre-qualified and they say, well, I want to buy this $400,000 home. And they tell the loan officer, pre-approve me to $400,000. Well, let's say they could really be pre-approved to 500,000 but they want to be conservative and buy it 400. Ask the loan officer to give you the pre-approval to the max. For one, it makes you look stronger in your offer because it's the slightest deviation in rates won't affect you. So that's got to make the seller feel good. But then you probably don't have to update it quite so often. That's a good point. Um, the, so getting that approval letter and, and getting approved to the max is I think a good idea because you, like you said, there's a couple benefits to it. Um, the other thing that I would uh, advise buyers to do when they do get approved is, and most of our local loan officers are really, really good at this, that they will break down, um, what you're, you're approved at this amount and at this amount in these terms, your monthly payment is going to be this. And the cash out of pocket at closing is going to be this. A lot of times uh, you don't get the, that second and third piece of information. You know, that monthly payment and or how much you're going to need out of pocket are two really, really big factors that come into play. So, uh, again, our local loan officers that we work with are, are all typically really, really good about getting this information out there. But in addition to knowing what it is you're qualified for, you should also know how much it's going to cost you on a monthly basis and on that upfront basis in order to get the, the, that loan. Okay. And I just did a quick little synopsis on the difference in if you were buying a $400,000 home, uh, a quarter percent difference in the rate is $160 a month. So, uh, you, you know, if you know that you're buying well under what you can afford and that $160 won't affect you that greatly, then you're good. Steve, with that, we need to go to our commercial break. But when we get back, Steve and I are going to be talking about the market stats for 2021. Thank you. Welcome back to Welcome Home Radio. This is Don Scordino, your host, and we have Steve Flash with us, president of the the 2022 president of the Fresno Association of Realtors. Steve and our listeners, you're not going to hear me say this very often, but I made a mistake. <laughs> that $160 a month that I talked about, that sounded too high. I corrected it. It's $56. Um my, my calculator must have made a mistake. I couldn't have, right? Hey, the important part is you got in front of it and we got the accurate information out to, uh, to everybody listening. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Steve. I think you let me off the hook easy there. 
Um, all right, let's talk about some statistics. And I am going to throw some numbers out there for 2021. And, and Steve, as president, I'd like to get your commentary on that. Um, in 2021, for Fresno County, uh, the median sales price was 360000 Now, the first thing I want to say is that number is different than some of the other people who quote uh, what the median price was. And that's because we all have different parameters, which means your numbers can can go either way. So what what's your take on 360000 for a median price in Fresno County? That, that number is, like you said, everybody pulls statistics differently and looks at the, the market differently. Um, you know, when I'm with FAR and representing FA, the Fresno Association of Realtors, um, I'm always looking at Fresno County and what's going on in the county. Um, but when we're talking with clients, it's a, a, a much smaller and I would say much more hyper, hyper local uh, market. So 360 for the county is pretty consistent. If we're looking here, the city of Fresno, the median sales price that I had was 338000 And then the city of Clovis median sales price for last year was 439000 So um, you've got the city of Fresno slightly below the county average. City of Clovis is a bit above it. Um, and, uh, yeah, you've got some, some strong growth in that time for certain. I recently heard um, somebody quote 385000 as the median price in Fresno County. I asked, where did that number come from? And that was for the month of December, the last month. So the ones I pulled were for the entire year of 2021. So you got to go back 11 months and, and figure out that it was actually lower than 360 back then. So that's where different numbers come from. Other reason why people have different numbers is some people include different types of homes when they're looking at this. Um, usually, uh, again, when I'm talking with clients, we're looking at homes that are, are similar to theirs. So if we're looking at a single family residence, we're only looking at single family residence. If we're looking at a condo, then obviously we're looking at condos. Um, now, when we're looking at what's going on in Fresno County, that's consistent with um, planned unit development, single family homes, condos, manufactured homes, mobile homes. So it's all residential properties that are, are thrown into the mix. So um, some people, when they're running stats, will look at only single family PUD and condo. So again, there's a couple of reasons why you see different numbers there. So you always got to ask the question is, okay, what, what are these numbers indicative of? What has the pandemic done to affect those numbers? pandemic hit, there was about a two to three week pause in the market. Um, and the big thing, I think, is uncertainty, knowing what's going on. And um, after that first couple of weeks, I think people realized that they've been, you know, with shelter in place when that hit, your home became your office. It became the classroom if you had kids. It became your gym. It became your, your recreation area. And a lot of people took, took stock in where they were living and realized that their current home didn't fit their needs any longer. You add into uh, that the remote work that came into effect and the number of companies that have adopted remote work for uh, an extended period of time or permanently. And that made people or that, you know, 
enabled people to not be geographically chained to an area. You know, if you're working um, for a big tech company up in the Bay Area, you've got to be within, you know, an hour and a half, two hours drive from from the office. Whereas now that's no longer a requirement. I've got a, a cousin who works with a larger company and we were talking about her and she says that the expectation is she spends about half of her time in the office. And I asked, does that mean you've got to be there two to three days a week? Or could you be there for six months and then be out of the office and work remotely for six months? And she said that she's got the flexibility to go uh, pretty much do whatever she wants, as long as about half of the time is in the office. So if that's the case, you know, she's she went and spent uh, just after uh, Christmas, she went and spent a couple months in Texas with uh, with uh, her, her fiance and was able to work remotely from Texas, even though her job is based out of Seattle. So you you had people that were um, no longer bound to a geographic area and then also looked around at their homes and realized, hey, this doesn't fit all of my needs anymore. And with that, we saw a huge rush into um, of buyers into the housing market. And, and on top of that, if all, you add in the low rates, that really enticed people to do it also. On the other side of things, from the seller's perspective, again, that sense of the unknown and the fear of that un- the unknown, the number of homes on the market dropped significantly. So what we had was we had a decreased supply of homes. We had much fewer homes that were on the market. And we had this huge demand that was um, uh, coming into the market looking at homes because their homes don't fit them anymore. Like you said, the interest rates are, are phenomenal and have been phenomenal, even now at 3.7. If you look at back over the 20-year the, the average on that, 3.7 is a, a really good rate and I think a, a good time to buy. But we, we saw you know, simple economics when you have a reduced, uh, reduced supply and an increased demand, prices are going to rise. And we've definitely seen that over the past uh, two years. Now, ironically, the number of sales have not gone up dramatically. So I'm looking at the year 2009 in Fresno County, there were 9,406 sales. In 2021, 9,418. So only nine more sales. And, you know, our population has grown. What would you say is the reason for that? We've seen more sales in that time with the growing population? Only nine more sales uh, between 2009 and 2021. Uh, Even though prices have gone uh, up from then, uh, interest in homes has gone up, interest rates have dropped. The total number of sales did not dramatically increase because of the fact that we do not have the inventory. Um, the builders, a lot of the builders got stung um, coming out of the, the 2006-2007 uh, boom and then going into that subsequent bust. You had a lot of builders that had inventory that they couldn't sell at the prices that they were expecting. And they really cut back on uh, the new home starts. We see, um, this was a couple months ago that um, we had somebody from the city of Fresno join our investors exchanges meeting. Uh, but she was talking about the city of Fresno on average has 1,200 uh, new starts for single family and another 1,200 new starts for multifamily every year. And that number has been pretty consistent. But that doesn't keep up with the population growth that we've seen here. So um, 
inventory has been the big thing. And not only is it that the builders got, you know, stung during that last market, uh, from uh, the the cost perspective of it, there are there's so many regulations that are in place that, you know, the typical builder, if they're building new construction and it's not an infill lot, they're paying anywhere to eighty to $100,000 in fees um, before they even get to break ground. So the cost of building is significantly high, and, and a large part of that is due to the regulations that have put in, uh, been put in either by the state or local governments. Mm-hmm. Steve, with that, we need to go to our next commercial break, but stay tuned to Welcome Home Radio. Welcome back to Welcome Home Radio. This is Don Scordino, your host. And we have 2022 president of the Fresno Association of Realtors with us. And so this song is very fitting for you, Steve. Put me in, coach. You're ready to play. Are you ready for 2022? I'm excited about the year, Don. I really am. There's a great group of people involved in leadership. I think the leadership team this year is really strong, and I think it's going to be a great year for us here in the Valley, uh, specifically here, Fresno County. All right, great. I want to go over some fun facts in comparing the city of Fresno to the city of Clovis as far as sales go. So let me throw this out there to preface it first. In the city of Fresno for 2021, with my parameters for stats, There were 5,885 sales. In Fresno, in the city of Clovis, there was 1,874. So that's 32% of the sales were in Clovis, even though Clovis represents maybe 25% of the population compared to uh, Fresno. So not a huge difference there. It's only 7%. Is that what you see too, Steve, out there? You know, Don, I might go ahead and take exception to your math. Um, I think that uh, that 1874 number is 30 plus percent of the 5885 number. But if you combine those, it's the the Clovis sales account for about 25 percent of the sales, the total sales within Fresno and Clovis combined. So I think that's a little bit more consistent with the, the, the population breakdown. This is a good setup for what we're going to talk about a little bit later about stats. (laughs) <laughs> all right what is uh, it they say about stats there's three types of lies lies damn lies and statistics that's right <laughs> okay so the average age in fresno for 2021 sales was 19 uh, 1976 is when they were built in clovis the average was 1997 so 21 years newer in the city of clovis that one is significant it, it truly is. Um, you you look at what homes have been, and um, you know it used to be uh, almost a functional purpose. You you had uh, three bedrooms, two baths, uh, a kitchen, or maybe three bedrooms and one bath, a kitchen, a living area, and a dining area, and that fit the needs of most families. And as we have uh, progressed, homes have gotten significantly larger. You know, you go back to that 1970s, and uh, you know. The, the average home was more of a ranch-style home, single level, uh, laid out. Now we see a lot more two-story homes. We see a lot more three-car garages. 
Um, so the, the, the style of homes have changed significantly during that time. And then uh, the size of the homes have also changed. You know, you mentioned that uh, the, the average home in Clovis is about 21 years newer than the average home that sold in Fresno this past year. And if you look at that with that newer construction, the average home that sold in Clovis is over 2,000 square feet. And then the average home that sold in Fresno is uh, 1749 square feet. So there's a difference of 330 square feet on average between those homes as well. So the newer homes bring with it not only the newer styles, but also typically uh, more space, more square footage. So um, I think that that plays into the, the difference in the sales price between the two cities as well. Right. So possibly we could say that in, when we compare Fresno to Clovis, it's not apples to apples. No, not, not by any means. And it's not just necessarily the city, it's the age in which they were built, the styles. Um, in fact, here's another one. So we go to two-story homes. Uh, in Fresno, of all those sales, 19% of the Fresno sales were two-story homes, whereas in Clovis, it was 32%. I would think that's significant. Yes, I definitely agree. You know, you're able to put more home on a lot when you build up. So um, the ability to, uh, you know, and one of the things that's been a, a big push from the, the state level is higher density. And um, when you start looking at that higher density, it almost forces you to build up instead of out. So as you do build up, you do have more room to add in those additional bedrooms or anything else. So, uh, again, that difference in square footage uh, coincides with the, you know, the two-story homes. Here's another fun fact. 26% of Fresno, the city of Fresno sales were located in the Clovis Unified School District. 26%. Well, Clovis Unified really takes up a large portion of the city of Fresno. Um, going north of Herndon, um, it goes from Clovis all the way out to uh, Van Ness Avenue. And anything from Van Ness um, East it, that's north of Herndon is going to be in Clovis Unified. So there is a large portion of the city um, that is in Clovis Unified School District. All right. So that would explain... A lot of the difference between when earlier when you gave the statistics for uh, median price in Clovis and Fresno, that's why Clovis was higher than Fresno because it's a newer product. Exactly. And then if you look at that area of Fresno that we're talking about that is encompassed in Clovis Unified, that's where a lot of the newer construction has been within the city of Fresno. Um, you know, you go go north of, of Herndon, you've, you've got uh, the Copper River developments. A lot of the developments that are going on right now in Fresno are in that north part of town that are going to be Clovis Unified. So um, it's I'm not exactly sure the history behind it, but uh, yeah, Clovis Unified does cover a large part of the city of Fresno. Okay, Steve, uh, for the last few minutes of this segment, let's talk about the TV report that came out this week on ABC about racial bias in home appraisals. And I wanted to bring this up because my hope is that no one gets discouraged thinking that the odds are against you. So you, you saw that too, Steve. What's, what's your take on it? You know, it, it was a little disheartening to read, and, and I, I don't know about the, 
the article in and of itself. You know, it starts off and it says sellers in some U.S. cities have reported getting lower appraisals based on their skin color. And while I'm not going to sit here and, and say that discrimination does not happen, Don, um, I, I don't really see it in our market. Um, our market is is very, very diverse. And I think it's something that, that we've all grown up with. And, and it just it's 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 the status quo. It's the way that, you know, the diversity that we see here in our in our in the valley here in Fresno County is something that I think we're all accustomed to. So, um, again, while I'm not going to say discrimination doesn't happen, I, I don't see it here in our market. You know, there's a, one or two, um, you know, one or two cases that, you know, you, you might hear somebody say something, but typically it's said out of ignorance rather than out of uh, any sort of malice. Right. So here's the big question that affects a home buyer, a purchaser. The big question is, how can that happen? Because the appraiser has no contact with the buyer. Correct. Uh, coming out of the, the bus that we saw, we had the Dodd-Frank Act that kind of changed the way in which appraisals were done. Um, they've put in a, a third party, almost a, an intermediary between the lenders and the uh, appraisers. And when the appraiser goes out to the property, they contact the listing agent. So there really is almost no contact between the appraiser and the lender or the appraiser and the buyer or the buyer's agent. So um, I, to, to your point, not wanting people to get discouraged, there's really no way that an appraiser is going to know the, the, the race or the ethnicity of the person that's buying the home. Okay. It also mentioned the term redlining which is an old practice of some lenders where they drew lines around certain neighborhoods and excluded certain nationalities, cultures, or races from uh, th those boxes on the map. The question, again, is how can that happen? Because nowadays, and I'm talking about the last 40 years, uh, the practice is to go get pre-qualified with a lender before you go out and look for a home. So how can the how can they say no you can't buy there but you're pre-qualified here that, that i cannot even imagine that happening yeah i think the term redlining is something that um it's 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 a catchy phrase that people like to use but yeah functionally in the way in which the the lending process works at this point you're right i can't see a way in which uh, a lender could go ahead and and refuse to lend to somebody based on the area in which they were buying right now so the point of all of this is don't get discouraged. If you want to pursue the American dream of home ownership, go get one. Call a realtor today to get started. And there's going to be frustration in the, in the process of buying a home. Um, but put, put the blame for if, you, if you're one of 10 offers and you don't get it, look for the real reason that it you didn't get it. Um, so that that's my hope is that people don't get discouraged and think that the cards are stacked against you. Go get well, one. And they're, they're worth it. They, they definitely are. I mean, the biggest path to generational wealth in our country is home ownership. And there are uh, state and federal anti-discrimination laws that exist to prevent something like this from happening. And then I think one of the, the, great parts about working with a realtor as opposed to just a real estate licensee 
is that realtors ascribe to a code of ethics, and that code of ethics is stricter and stronger than any of the state or federal anti-discrimination guidelines that are out there. So um, working with a realtor is, is you're working with somebody that's committed to fair housing and the principles of fair housing. So um, I, I think it's very, very important to work with a, a local realtor when you are in the process of either buying or selling a home. You know, that's a really good point. The realtors have that code of ethics and somebody commented to me, well, just because you haven't seen it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. Well, the area I'm working in is within the realtor organization where we have a strong code of ethics. Maybe that's why I don't see it. Um, and this, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. I was just going to say this is something that the state association has has really been paying attention to. Um, you know, the licenses are governed at the state level. Uh, lending is typically national, but, you know, you've got the license, real estate license are governed at the, the state level. And the California Association of Realtors last year sponsored legislation uh, that was recently signed into law that requires any licensee um, in the state of California, any real estate licensee within the state of California to take implicit bias training before as part of their um, licensing and their renewal process. So it is uh, one more step that, that the Realtor Association has taken in order to try and make sure that everybody's got a, a fair and a level playing field. All right. Uh, we are going to go to our next commercial break, but when we get back, we're going to have Mel Wilson, a fellow broker from the Los Angeles area, and he's a candidate for mayor of Los Angeles. We're going to talk about the issues that are facing the city of Los Angeles and how it might parallel what's happening here in Fresno, Clovis, and our Central Valley. So stay tuned to Welcome Home Radio. Thank you. Welcome back to Welcome Home Radio. Again, this is Don Scordino, your host. And on the line, we have Mel Wilson, who is a fellow real estate broker out of Los Angeles, the San Fernando Valley, and also a um, candidate for the mayor of Los Angeles. Uh, good morning, Mel. Good morning, Don. How are you today? Doing good. Just like me and you sitting at a Dodger game like we've done in the past. Uh, always good to talk to you. Love it. Love it. Good to talk to you. Well, thank you. Um, how long have you been a businessman and real estate broker? Well, I, this is my 44th year in real estate, and I've been a broker owner for about 40 of those years. And well, Congratulations. It's first-time buyers. I work a lot with first-time buyers. Excellent. So what made you want to run for the mayor of Los Angeles? That sounds like work. It is a lot of work, Don, uh, but our city is in trouble. The, the violent crimes in L.A. right now are up 46%. And if you've driven the streets of L.A., you know that homelessness is out of control. Our medium price for a typical home buyer today is over $900,000. That's absurd. That's out of control. And most folks, less than 25% of them in our region, can actually even think about buying a home or even renting an apartment. So there's some complex problems here in L.A., and I know I'm suited to take care of these problems. And why is that, Mel? Why are you suited, and what are your solutions? Well, let me tell you why I'm suited to do this. You know, number one, I'm a fighter. I was an All-American football player at Cal State Northridge years ago. 
So I have the discipline to get things done, and I'm a goal-driven person. But overall, I have a lot of experience in working in public policy in Los Angeles. There's a guy named Richard Reardon. He was our mayor back about 25 years ago. Uh, he picked me to serve on the Metro Board, which is the Transportation Board, with him. So I was one of about 13 folks, and he got to pick four of them, and I was one of his four, to solve some of L.A.'s complex problems. Uh, years later, I got a call from a guy named Antonio Viragosa sitting on the same board solving some of L.A.'s problems. And then during that time, I was a fire commissioner for L.A. City. We had a tremendous shortage of paramedics, and as our population grows older, we were short of having enough paramedics for every fire station in our city on every shift. I was uh, instrumental in making sure that happened. So that, along with the complex you know, decision-making and judgment of running a business in four real estate offices over the last 40 years, that qualifies me, and I'm not a career politician, and that's what the problem is in L.A., we have career politicians who've just messed our city up. And I would like to say this, um, although we've sat and talked many a time at a Dodger game or at a realtor meeting, I don't know what party you belong to, but I know you are a very good person. And I think we need more people like you running our, our uh, cities in our state. Uh, well, so, I think you don't. I thank you. Uh, uh, the party I'm for is the, the People's Party, the, the people of Los Angeles. You know, overall, I'm a pro-business, uh, pretty moderate to conservative Democrat. L.A. is a pretty uh, uh, moderate city with some progressives. I've gotten a lot of attraction from my Republican friends, my moderate friends, and a handful of the progressives. But overall, I'm just a guy who's common sense. I'm not the, you know, the smartest guy in the world, but I use common sense, and it's worked well for me over these years. And I think that's most of our, our Angelinos. They're just folks with common sense who want solutions to some of these complex problems. Yeah, and, and being in business brings that out in you. You have to work with common sense to have a successful business, and you have for over 40 years. That's right. And I'll tell you, some of the challenges L.A. has is housing affordability. And here's how I know we can solve these problems. My budget as mayor will set aside enough money, almost a billion dollars, to, to, to help down payment assistance for first-time buyers, folks who are making $150,000 or less income. And that's 15,000 homes that will be sold where folks could not afford to buy before. And so we're trying to get to the folks who need it the most, the help the most, and that is the middle-income citizens of Los Angeles. They're the ones who do all the grunt work, but they cannot afford to live in our city any longer. And so I'm going to address that need because it's something that no one has taken a close look at. The second thing that I know is really important is because violent crimes are so high, we need to staff up. We need to hire up more LAPD officers. Right now we're down to 9,500 cops on the streets. We need 11,000, and I'll tell you with that, by targeting violent crime, getting them off the streets, and getting those folks who are homeless, many of which are committing crimes, getting those folks off the streets, we're going to make our city safe again in a place where people want to work, live, and play. All right, great. What is the solution to homelessness? Well, it's complex, but it's, it's, it's really common sense uh, if you just break it down. 
uh, you, first you have to just figure out who are they. Well, a lot of them are mentally ill. Who are the rest of them? They're folks who are on drugs. And then there are a handful of folks who just slipped through the cracks, through the uh, foster care program when they turned eight, 18 and they got no longer uh, care and things like that. And so what we do is we identify who they are, and then we get them mental health treatment for those who need it. For those who want to get off drugs, we help them get into drug programs. We get them back on their feet. And then there's a handful of them who really don't want to get off the streets, and we just tell them, look, housing is a basic human right, but living on our streets and sidewalks is not one of those rights. And so if you're not going to live uh, on, if you're going to live on the streets and you don't want to get into a place we're going to make available for you, we're going to have a nice place for you up in Palmdale where the city owns thousands of acres. We'll get some homeless shelters there, and we'll have to cart you up there. You're picking on me because I own some land in Palmdale, aren't you? <laughs> Great place to live. It is. I like it. Um, so how do we build more houses, and specifically the ultra-affordable ones? Uh, maybe a, a home where people can transition from homelessness to a home. Well, first what we have to do is we have to use common sense. I mean, right now the city is charging for a builder to just break ground. For every housing unit that you build in the city of L.A. now, you're paying anywhere from $50,000 to $60,000 per unit. That's a extortion. We can't do that. We have to tell these builders, look, if you build for homes at the price range that's affordable for a typical Angelino citizen in our, our town, we will reduce those fees, we'll defer those fees, and we'll actually waive those fees for the lowest uh, cost folks who cannot afford to buy or rent an apartment. But you have to start with the cost. So you lower the cost down. You also have to expedite the pr permit processing. And that's what uh, LA has been very slow on these days. And so by hiring up, getting more planners, getting it through the process, we'll be able to get things done faster and cheaper, and folks can afford, again, to live in L.A. Okay, great. Uh, Mel, as we're about to wrap up, I, I have two questions for you. One, because uh, Steve Flash, our 2022 president of FAR, is still on the line, what, what advice would you give him as president this year? Steve, uh, listen to your members. Your members are the ones who really can give you the pulse of the people. Your members are the ones that interact with the clients, the folks who want to buy a home, the ones that already own a home, and the ones that want to invest in real estate. Listen to your members and just stay, stay balanced. Don't go way to the left, way to the right. Stay in the middle and you'll be fine, Steve. I appreciate that, Mel. Again, common sense. Uh, that seems to be a theme with you, and uh, that makes a lot of sense. I appreciate those words of wisdom. And oh, then I would like welcome. to say to all the listeners out there, what can you do to help Mel Wilson as mayor of Los Angeles when maybe you live in Clovis or Fresno, Tulare? Well, if you got relatives over there, give them a call. Say, hey, I hear this Mel Wilson's a, a common sense guy. And, and we'll get the job done. So uh, that's my suggestion. And I want to thank you, Mel, for calling in today. And good luck. Let me, let me give my call out to my website. It's pretty simple. It's Mel, the number four, mayor.com. Mel, the number four, mayor.com. 
stay safe. We'll talk soon, my friend. Thanks again. Hey, thank you very much, Mel. Thank you, Steve. And also to all our listeners, thank you for tuning in today to Welcome Home Radio. We'll be back next week.